Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to L.A. Talk Radio. Welcome to All Things Therapy. I'm your host, Lisa Tahir. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing as an intuitive psychotherapist. I would love to connect with you as my listener, and you can do that two ways. You can go directly to my website, which is nolatherapy.com. It's the abbreviation for New Orleans Los Angeles Therapy. N-O-L-A, therapy.com, or you can go through my L.A. Talk Radio show page at latalkradio.com, and from there, you're able to book sessions to work with me individually. If you're in a relationship, I work with many couples, and I work with you. I'm available in person in Los Angeles or New Orleans, additionally by phone, Skype, or FaceTime, anywhere that you are located. I'd love for you to reach out if you're interested in being a guest on this show. And please keep subscribing and rating my show, All Things Therapy, on iTunes, on Google Play. I'm on iHeartRadio as of about a month ago. And on YouTube, I have a channel called NOLA Therapy that I'd love for you to subscribe to where the shows are available as well. And please support this work that I do in a co-creation with each and every guest through the crowdfunding campaign I have with Patreon. That website is patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. My guest today was on the show a couple of years ago uh, with the first book he and his daughter put out. And now we are about to be for a second time with Mark Trider. He is a father a corporate attorney, author of two books now, with his daughter, Leanna, who's been a contributor to both books. We're going to talk about both of them today. The first book is titled, My Dad is an Alcoholic. What About Me? A Preteen Guide to Conquering Addictive Genes. The second book that they have recently put out is called Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. And Mark himself is a recovering alcoholic with nine years of sobriety and he's authentic is well versed in addictions and he and his family want to reach young people before they find themselves in a pattern of dependency or addiction welcome back mark Uh, thanks for having me and very well said you're welcome thank you for taking your time out how are you today doing good um kids are on summer break uh, my daughter went to her first job today, so the, as a as a father, that's a very good thing. Oh, that's a, that's awesome. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Where where do you want to start with with our listeners today on the work that you have been doing and and putting your books out and speaking to young people and adults alike? You know, the uh there's a lot of different facets of the book, but the you know, there you mentioned it. Our goal is to try to get to kids before it's too late because prevention is a lot easier um than rehabilitation in uh in the addiction world. Rehabilitation um or you know getting getting sober off drugs or opiates or alcohol as you can watch uh, any day on the news um, or TMZ you know it's, it's very difficult the uh, percentages are very low but you know abstaining from drugs and alcohol is or, that's done by billions of people around the world for their entire life so we we're trying to get some information out to kids you know in their early teens um, especially those that uh, might may have it in their DNA uh, right. Uh, but others, too, because it's just a worldwide epidemic, we're trying to give them some tools and tips. And uh, half the book's written, you know, from a teenager. Uh, so to give them the actual uh, teen perspective uh, on, on maybe uh, some tips that they might remember, you know, during peer pressure in, uh, in high school. Yeah. How, how is the work being received by teenagers, by adolescents? You know, we're, uh, <laughs> we get a lot of great feedback. It, the, the the most frequent feedback, uh, adult, teens, anybody as well. My family needs this. Um, mm-hmm. It's amazing going through this, uh, you know, promoting the book and talking to people and helping people, realizing that I I'd, I'd honestly say ninety to ninety five percent of the people uh, I talk with, even just you know in my professional career, when I tell them about the book, they all have somebody that uh, either an immediate family member or a cousin or an aunt or a best friend that that needs this. So. Um, it, it's amazing and scary at the same time to see, you know, how uh, pervasive this is across our country. So I'm wondering, I have I have a lot of friends with teenage kids now, and how do you even begin this discussion with the adolescent, the young person that might be reluctant? I, I don't know many teenagers that are going to say, oh, yeah, mom and dad, like my friends, we're drinking and doing drugs or experimenting. How do you kind of broach the subject even to start to well, educate yeah, we suggest bringing it up before high school. So okay. uh, the, the average age is getting younger of uh, experimentation and, and alcohol use in high school or, or even earlier. I think it's so 13, could, right? Yeah, as young as 13. Yeah. Every time they do a study, it gets younger. So mm-hmm. the most recent study I saw was 13. It used to be 14. It used to be 15. So it's getting younger. Um, the, the pills and uh, the joints and, and uh, bottles of booze are easier to get. Um, we suggest starting it early, you know, back in the Like 50s, what age, would you say? 11 and 12. Okay. Sure. That's good to know. Um, so you can do a couple things. First of all, start talking about it. Like your parents did, uh, uh, you know, about sex ed with, with my generation. Or the birds and the bees. Mm-hmm. Or uh, AIDS or STDs. You know, it was one of those things you had. Every mother and father had to talk to their kids about uh, the birds and the bees What when they're like 11 or 12. You know, now what's more likely to kill them, an STD or an overdose on uh, on heroin? And it's not even close. The statistics aren't close. So make that a priority. What are some of the th- like in, in educating kids about, you know, when they encounter alcohol and drugs? Can you help us understand some of the ways that you've used and, and that you're teaching parents to use with their kids? Just some takeaway points. Yeah. Yeah, and we, uh, the book has a lot of these things. It has a chapter on peer pressure and some tips and uh, some things you can just push back with. 
Um, you know, for example, we the f- cover of the book uh, has a peanut and a potato to try to make it relatable to you know twelve year olds, and the peanut represents a peanut allergy. So everybody listening to this the station knows somebody with a peanut allergy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that entire family knows about it. All the friends know about it. The soccer coach, the parents on the soccer team, the flight attendant on the airplane. Yeah. Every- Everybody knows there's an allergy to peanuts. He just tells them, I can't have peanuts. Keep peanuts away from me. We try to make the analogy that, hey, um, alcoholism and addiction is also an allergy. It's something many people are born with. It's in their DNA. If they start drinking in college, they're going to become an alcoholic. Um, treat it like the allergy that it is. If you, um, you know, And if you understand that and you embrace it and you talk about it as a family, then maybe when that kid gets offered a uh, you know, a pill in junior college, or someone hands them a beer. They say, "Hey, I have, um, I have, I have addiction in my in my genes. I, I won't touch this stuff." Be the you know, be the proud potato, just like uh, kids with uh, peanut allergies talk about it openly. Well, and I know you talk in your work as well about what parents model at home are kind of those foundational building blocks of the decisions that their kids will be making, and so. Mm-hmm. I'd like to give as many practical steps to our listeners that they can, you know, get off the show, order your book and just implement while it's on its way. For instance, like, you know, being aware of of how alcohol is used in your own home. Like, is is a parent coming home every night and having a drink? Are they? Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah. Look, we all like it or not. We're role models, role models for our kids. Right. Um, And if you don't think you are, you're wrong because you are. Uh, kids look up to you. They uh, they copy your actions, your reactions. You know, parents uh, uh, kids turn out like their parents most of the time. So you have to ask yourself, you know, why why do you have alcohol? If you do at most of your family events, wouldn't you have friends over? Why is there always wine on the table? If you go to a beach barbecue for your uh, for your niece's birthday, you know, in, in many families, alcohol revolves around everything: birthday parties, uh, brunches. Why do you really need to drink? mimosas in front of your kids at a brunch. Um, I know this contributed to part of my drinking. Uh, you know, alcohol was uh, part of my family's uh, history, and they were half Irish and half Russian, and there were tale, grand tales about uh, drunken behavior, and it, you know, in a way my, my family promoted it, you know, with, mm-hmm. uh, glorified, you know, the tales of the, the uncle that, you know, threw a kid out of a... a the classroom when he was a substitute teacher and drunk or whatever, whatever the story was, um, your kids are going to, your kids are going to look at that drinking and think it's normal or even, uh, glorified. So our suggestion is when your kids are around, don't have alcohol, just like you probably don't have cigarettes now, you know, compared right. to 30 years ago. Nobody smoke. I mean, hardly anybody smokes around their kids anymore. Uh, don't drink around your kids that, you know, in, in 20 years, we might be talking about, uh, drinking as, as, you know, as people are, you know, the change with smoking in the last 20 years. Yeah. You know, I so, think what you're go on and then I'll say, no, I was going to say, and one other thing, we also have a, uh, we call it potato talk. We also have a webcast, um, where we interview some, uh, uh, our first couple that we've done, we just started, were professional athletes. And the first two that we, uh, interviewed were, um, it's a good, it's a good message and a good, uh, comparison for kids. One, um, uh, our first one is a current NFL star, and uh, he uh, had a severely alcoholic father, and it was all through his genes. And he made the decision at an early age never to touch the stuff, to talk about it, to tell people, no way, man, I'm not going to drink. 
to be that guy at the party to say, I don't need to drink to have fun. And he's an NFL star now and very sober and happy. And the second um, person we interviewed was an NHL star, a hockey star. Um, but he didn't, he didn't make that choice early on, stay away from uh, drugs and alcohol, even though it was all throughout his family. And, and you can see, although he's still around and, he, and he's trying to help people with, uh, that are also suffering, you, you can just see the struggles that he's had in the last 30 years compared to uh, you know, our NFL player uh, that made the decision you know, when he was 10 or 11 years old watching his dad that he would never touch a, touch a drink again. What you're saying is is causing me to think about how I think it's important the role models that that kids have. Uh, a good friend of mine is a former um, Olympian in gymnastics, and because she still performs, though not at the Olympic level, she's never drank because she needed her body to be her best tool in competition. And I think if kids have role models like certain professional athletes that that don't use alcohol because of the debilitating effects to the body, that that could be something. Positive. So I imagine, yep. you know, help helping your kids to have really great role models um, could be a part of them, like having someone to look up to, as we all need. We all look up to somebody doing better or, or how, who we want to become. So I think that could be important, too, in kids development. Yeah, it is. And especially, you know, like, let's be honest, uh, Justin Bieber is probably not the best role model uh, or, you know, you know, a lot of these rock stars. Uh, right. So pick a different one. Pick, uh, pick Kenny Wiggins, the NFL guy that we interviewed, or find a, a sober role model. Or, you know what, This is obviously this person's extremely controversial, but look at President Trump compared to his brother. His brother died of alcoholism. President Trump, like him or not, he's never had a drink, and he's president of the United States. It's uh, One guy's dead from alcohol, and one guy is the most, you know, the, the free Powerful the, man. Or the free yeah. world, yeah. Yes. You know, uh, what this topic I think is really appropriate right now. I recently wrote an article for the LA Hub magazine about millennials and alcoholism. And as yeah. you probably know, millennials have the highest rate of alcoholism of any generation that's come up. And they have actually shaped the way that alcohol is packaged and sold, meaning that now there are Starbucks, there are other coffee shops that not only sell coffee, like when we grew up, but they have wine. And there's delivery services that will have alcohol to your door within two hours. And the memes and social media are different. They, they reflect alcohol and just the overconsumption, while at the same time, millennials know how unhealthy and damaging alcohol can be. And now millennials have their own kids. They're starting to have their own children. So have you and your, your daughter had, you know, any experience particularly in speaking with millennials and and how this message might affect and impact them in a, in a positive way yeah and i have one additional example that i witnessed myself and i was horrified and i'm happy to say this uh, and i hope yeah. the owners of the company are listening uh i was at the uh, uh house of blues for a concert and i live yeah. in california so where marijuana was recently legalized i was at the house of blues uh for a concert a couple weeks ago and there was a company that set up a kiosk to sell marijuana next to the bar Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so accessibility is just right there. Yeah. Credit cards, cash right next to the bar. They were selling marijuana. People listening might be okay with marijuana. I'm not. I'm focusing on trying to keep addiction away. Um, so, yeah, now now marijuana can be bought anywhere in California. You could probably get it delivered. Um, yeah, I mean, the millennials live on their phone. You know, they're, uh, if they could just push a button 
and have alcohol delivered or, uh, uh, you know, that's that absolutely contributes to things. And so I think that education is the key as you're doing. There's, you know, stopping it before it happens is definitely has a higher success rate um, than than, you know, rehabilitation or or Mm -hmm. change behavior. Uh, there's only been one real study on it. I actually want to try to work with some researchers to do additional studies. But the one study uh, out of New York State took a whole bunch of kids uh, whose parents had drug issues, um, and they educated one set of kids about the dangers of alcohol and drugs. And, you know, if you try it in high school, you might become addicted for life and lose everything, Uh, just compared to the other group of kids where they didn't say anything. And it was like a 300% 300% uh, increase in, uh, in in drug and alcohol use for the for the set that didn't have the information. So wow. That, uh, sort of backs up, you know, our theory. Um, at, at least, uh, you know, it, give it give it give them at least a fighting chance. So somebody knows, just uh, you know, quote experimenting with uh, alcohol at a party or pills. Uh, you know, you might not you might not ever turn away from that. That's the problem. Yes. So how did you get sober? Mark? I was uh, lucky enough um, after year, by the way, after years of wanting to quit. So when people okay. want to quit, they can't quit. <laughs> that's, that's what's very ironic about this disease. And some people never learn it. But let's say after 10 years of knowing I had a huge drinking problem and wanting to quit, I still wasn't able to. My daughter, uh, she just said one sentence uh, to my wife about me that threw me into a threw me into my, quote, rock bottom, and then I asked to go to rehab. It was as simple as uh, I took Leanna to a concert, uh, an American Idol concert or something. A da- you know, I was excited about a daddy-daughter evening. Uh, we got home, and my wife said, Leanna, how was the concert? And she said, Daddy drank a lot. Mm. And for me, when I heard that, thank God, that did it for me. You know, there's, uh, that's, you know subconsciously, it, that tore me apart, and that's all I needed. And then three days later, I asked some coworkers to take me to rehab. Um, so thankfully, I had that moment. You know, there was a lot of uh, other moments in my life that certainly should have been the bottom and caused me to ask for help. But that's it's uh, that's not how this disease works. People, uh, people, a lot of people never ask for help, and some people, you know, it takes a divorce or a DUI or a, um, the boss firing them. Or you know, it, it's hard to predict what causes someone to to want to get help more than uh, they want that next drink. Well, and what has helped you maintain sobriety? Because it's one thing to get yourself to treatment or or a 12-step program or whatever modality one goes to. But what has kept you sober for nine years? You know, and it's a good question because a lot of people, even after rehab, the um, the relapse rates are like 75%. Which yeah. Is, uh, which is scary. Um, which is, again, why we say don't ever start because even going to a rehab doesn't fix uh, all the people. Um that's a good question. At first, it was listening to what the experts told me and not questioning anything because I'm very, uh, as a lot of alcoholics and drug addicts are, we're, a lot, we're very stubborn. We're very self-centered. We like to make our own decisions and direction. That doesn't work with this program. Whatever the, the, uh, uh, the counselors at the rehab or your sponsor at AA or your addiction counselor tell you to do, just do it. I just did that without questioning anything for years. Um, I can tell you what helps now is uh, having two books out with my name on it about being an alcoholic and being on yeah. shows like yours and WGN next week with my daughter certainly would make a uh, difficult time promoting a book if I relapsed. So uh, that's definitely part of the benefit of this book is uh, 
keeping the uh, keeping the memories fresh is really uh, is really a key. When your mind, you know, when people relapse, they say, "Well, I thought I could handle it," but if they really thought back to you know passing out uh, in their underwear in a gutter, uh, you know, they remember that they really couldn't. But when those memories get so distant, uh, your brain sort of jumps in and tells you you can handle it. So me talking about things like this and, and having a book, that certainly helps. So the, what I hear you talking about is actually having a, an accountability partner, so to speak, in your book and in your work and in every interview you do, that the more you self-identify with recovering from alcoholism, it, it's reinforcing to, to keep you recovering because you're you're being accountable and building in For those sure. parameters. For sure. And you know, one thing odd that I did uh, between the time that I asked two of my coworkers in Las Vegas to take me to rehab and when I went hmm. is I emailed everybody I knew and told them I was an alcoholic and going to rehab. And it was at some, you know, uh, some level it was for that, for the accountability. So I, I wanted the accountability uh, subconsciously or consciously. Uh, and it certainly worked for me. And, um, I, I think that's definitely a tool in the uh, sobriety quiver is being accountable. So if someone's listening right now and thinking, wow, like they know they have a problem, what what would you suggest for them? Very simple. Go get help. You can't do it on your own. And if anybody, I've learned this, it's almost 100%. If anybody listening thinks they have a problem or thinks their family member has a problem, they do. Because you hide things so well that if you let enough out where your spouse thinks you're an alcoholic with hiding 90% of it, that your spouse is definitely an alcoholic. So if you think you have a problem, you think your loved one has a problem, um, you have to do something about it. You, you have to send them to AA. You have to, you have to go to rehab. You have to talk about it. Um, Lisa, you know this, but a lot of people don't. Uh, addiction is progressive. Mm-hmm. It's worse. You can almost map it. You can almost, I, I've done, uh, you can almost map the destruction and what's going to happen. I did a, uh, I did an intervention with a close friend, uh, on a close friend of mine a couple years ago with his whole family, and I mapped out almost to the T, unfortunately, what was going to happen. I said, if you don't stay sober, you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your kids, then you're going to lose your, um, your C-level job at a public company, which is a very high-level job, then you're going to be mm-hmm. home alone in an apartment drinking, and that's where he is today. And that's pretty much what happens to all um, – Addicts and uh, and alcoholics, it, it gets worse uh, month after month, year after year, and and at the end, there's you know there's there's just burying the person. Well, addiction wants to be a primary relationship with you. It wants to take over and become everything. And how would you speak to the person that the difference between abuse, say alcohol abuse, substance abuse, and then dependence and addiction? Um, that's a good question. You know, there's a couple answers. Well, the, uh, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous book, which was written in the thirties, which is still amazing. Big book. All, yeah. All of us that read the big, big book, it's like they wrote it about us. It's, it's, uh, it's incredible, but there's a, te- in there they say, well, if you don't think you're an alcoholic, go to your local bar every night for a couple of weeks and have two beers. See if you can only have two beers for those, for those few weeks. Uh, the answer is usually no. It's progressive. That's- yeah, it's hard. Once a, once an alcoholic starts drinking, it's almost impossible to not have that next drink. That's really that's really the test. So, um, when when you have the first drink and you're at the Dave and Buster's with your family, 
Do you always have more? Can you stop yourself? Or another way to uh, think about it in terms of your, you know, your, your weekly existence is, do you need alcohol or do you just want to drink? So, mm-hmm. you know, my, my wife, we're, uh, we're going to a concert tonight and uh, we're going to dinner before the concert. Uh, you know, if she wanted a glass of wine, she probably could have one. If I was back in my drinking days and we were going to this concert, I would make sure we were going to a restaurant nearby with a lot of alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then I would make sure if there's no alcohol at the concert that I would sneak some in. Right. Uh, yeah, so you, you need, uh, w- when you get to the point where you're planning your events to make sure you have alcohol, uh, to make sure, you know, when you're in the airport, you stop by the airport bar. Um, when it turns from a want uh, to a need, it's, you, there's definitely a problem. And, and it's probably too late to turn the switch off, unfortunately. Once that addiction switch get turned, gets turned on in your brain, it doesn't go off forever. You can stay sober, but the addiction switch doesn't go off. So the role between of genetics versus environment, as it relates to addictions. How would you speak to our listeners about that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Obviously, there's been studies on it, um, and, and some of the, the, the top studies say it's about half and a half. Um, you know, I, I think they're both important. Uh, if, you, if you as a parent fail on, if you either one are a failure, then it's probably going to end up in, with an addicted child. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're letting your child run wild and drink and not, uh, and you're drinking in front of them and alcohol is normal in your house, uh, it's a real good chance they're going to develop an alcohol problem. Similarly, if their dad was an alcoholic and grandpa and uncle and you let them drink, it's really likely they're going to become an alcoholic. It's like, it can be for a, uh, for, uh, a boy with, uh, addiction in their genes and they start drinking early, they can be up to 20 times more likely if you look at all the, uh, contributing factors than, than their buddy sitting next to him in the classroom to become an alcoholic. Yeah. So well, you it, have it's, to do both. You have to do right, both. You you have to look- to, you, first of all, you have to assume it's in their genes because not everybody knows. Uh, if your parents are not alcoholics, it does not mean it's not in your genes. It could be your Right, it could have been a grandparent. And I think you can get some of that information and just sitting around as you're growing up talking to your family members and hearing stories and, and such. Try, yeah. We suggest in the book, why don't you just assume it's in your genes? Because it's, you know, it's, it's in a significant number of families out there. Just assume it's in your genes. Assume grandpa had it. And, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't take those pain pills when you get uh, your wisdom teeth out instead of Tylenol. Just, you know, our, our suggestion is assume it's in your genes. Act like it. Uh, try to st- abstain for drugs and alcohol. And then you won't have, uh, you won't have a lifelong battle to, to keep the addiction uh, Uh, from coming back. Mark, let's take a quick pause to a commercial break and come right back in just a minute. Indeed, listening is the new reading. With Audible, you can listen to an unlimited amount of books at home, in your car, at the gym, anywhere on the go. With over 180,000 audiobooks to choose from for you, the listener of all things therapy, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download and a month-long subscription for you to try them out. Visit audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy now and enjoy. 
yourself and friends find a purpose in life, then you are in the right place and be a part of the crowdfunding campaign of patreon.com forward slash all things therapy with Lisa Tahir as she initiates a one-on interaction with inspiring authors, healing experts, and spiritual directors. Join the League of Heroes of this generation by contributing your quota between a dollar up to a hundred dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash all things therapy. Let's make the world free of suicide, poverty, depression, and in all, make the world a better place for everyone. We're with Mark Trider, author of two books, My Dad is an Alcoholic, What About Me? A Preteen Guide to, to Conquering Addictive Genes, and Alcohol, Drugs, and You, A Young Person's Guide to Avoiding Addiction. And Mark, I just asked, what do you think are some of the reasons that young people succumb to substance abuse and, and alcohol abuse? That's a, that's a good question, and certainly one is peer pressure. Whether it's uh, you know your kids uh, all wanting to wear the same shoes as the other kids, or uh, nowadays the the short shorts the girls all like to wear because their peers are wearing it. Um, there's there's uh, when they go to party when they go to parties and see quote the popular kids or the older kids uh, drinking alcohol and they say hey kid try a beer. Uh, there's certainly a lot of that. We have a we have a chapter on peer pressure. My daughter has some uh, has some really good ideas. Uh, to, to fight up against that, um, and what we talked about, you're, uh, you know, you're watching your parents, uh, whether they're just social drinkers or um, whether you know your mom's a raging alcoholic and uh, uh, pill user your entire life, and uh, that's all that's all you witness um, growing up. There's going to be some point where that's uh, where that's normalized in your brain, and, and either out of uh, uh, anger or weakness or temptation or just the fact that it's around uh, that could cause you to drink. So how can we support our youth around this topic? Because certainly there are many people that have a healthy relationship with alcohol. They have a glass of wine with dinner and, and they're fine. It does not bleed over into dependence, abuse and addiction. How can we support our kids with educating them how to, how to manage you know, alcohol that, that is available in our culture and just everywhere in the world. Yeah, well, our, our approach, to be honest, is more of uh, don't try anything. Uh, that, okay, that, so more that, abstinence. Uh, yes, but, you know, there there's a lot of reasons uh, that uh, a life of abstinence is going to be better than uh, a potential life of addiction. Uh, we're just trying to reframe the, the thought process on that. But certainly you're right. There's uh, There's plenty of people that can drink normally. Uh, you know, we certainly recommend that uh, adolescents or teenagers uh, under the legal drinking age don't drink at all. Uh, right. They're much more likely to become alcoholics the earlier they drink. So mm-hmm. if you want to say to your kids, fine, you, you can drink when you're 21, but not before then. Uh, for families without addiction in their genes, that might be appropriate. Um, uh, there's, uh, it's, it's really, you know, about communication with the, with the children. You know, you got to talk to them about this issue. You're can't rely on the public school teacher or the private school teacher or the counselors or their friends to talk to them. It's really a topic that we're trying to make uh, open around the dinner table. How, when, when you were active in your addiction, how was your daughter affected? I know she's talked about this, written about this to, to give some of our listeners just from her perspective, from a, a child's perspective. Yeah. And, uh, reading the book, uh, the first time I read it and reading the second book and hearing your speak is when I really realized that. 
uh, we alcoholics and parents uh, or, or drug addicts and parents really think we're hiding things from the kids. Kids are smart, especially my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's really smart. Um, she picked up on things. Uh, there's some there's some language in there about she used to uh, cover her ears when she heard mommy and daddy, you know, daddy was drunk fighting late at night. Um, they, they hear things. They notice things. I think the the thing that that tore me up the most when I read it was daddy became a lot, it became really uh, distracted and distant. Um, mm. And that's true. And she was, you know, this was when she was, uh, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Uh, so she picked up on things. If you're, uh, if you're listening and uh, you know, you're out drinking and coming home drunk or uh, from a work party or someone's carrying you from a, a you know, nightclub back up to your room and your kids are there. Uh, they notice these things. Um, yeah, you know, you gotta you gotta assume they're gonna notice it. Yes, definitely. So just being and addiction, it it, it makes an individual blind to their own contributions, their own behavior, even. So I think definitely in your case, it helped when you heard your daughter say that to your wife after the concert. That what she remembers about it is you drinking, not the performer performing. So I think it was a, a blessing that that happened for you then to to realize that that's not what you want moving forward in your life. And that's not how you want to affect your kids anymore. Yeah. You know, the, for me, uh, one of my primary folk, even during my drinking, I was always uh, most focused on my kids. So when when it turned out I wasn't able to hide it from my kids, which looking back, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, that really tore me up. Um, you know, similar things happen for, you know, people just trying to hide it from their spouse or their girlfriend or their boss. And, uh, when, when that comes out, um, it can be a turning point. So I, we tell people, uh, when kids, when I talk to kids or my daughter does, um, or adults or friends say something because we know, we know what happens when no one says anything. Mm-hmm. Then, then, then dad's in jail for DUIs or dad just lost his liver and he's dead. Um, so say something. My look in my story. My daughter said one little comment about a concert, and uh, here I am talking to you uh, nine years later. Well, what about for a family where there might be more fear? How would you suggest that suggest that those kids might deal with, you know, noticing things aren't right with mom yeah. or dad, but but feeling scared about bringing it up? Um, no, that's a good point. My my daughter has some suggestions in the book on that. Find a find a cousin that you talk to how about an aunt uh a priest uh so most kids have a trusted adult uh and Mm -hmm. often it's not their parents you know they have an aunt that's the one that uh they go to concerts with or that that they talk to about their boyfriend and instead of their mom find someone to talk to um and, and say something uh you can also uh we take questions and give advice on our website uh which we'll give out in a minute but uh reach out to us reach out to liana um, reach out to somebody. That's uh, awesome. You know, it's, it's very difficult for kids. Um, not only do they see the behavior, they always start to think it's their fault, which I, you know, obviously as an adult looking back, it's never a kid's fault that their dad's addicted to, to Oxycontin or, and the mom's an alcoholic, but that's what right. kids think. So with they, getting kids with the help of this book or other things. And, and, you know, if you, if, if you know your sister uh, is an alcoholic and her son's being raised uh, in, in a dangerous environment, do something. 
And before we're done today, I want you to talk to us about your foundation, the Red Rosebud Foundation. Yeah, we're doing um, we're doing this entire book process just to help kids. It's not uh, it's not to make money. Fortunately, I have a good job for that. Um, <laughs> so, and we're taking uh, we started getting a lot of donors, some corporate donors, some personal donors. Um, it's a five hundred one three C. So donations are accepted. You can even on our website specify where you want the donation to go to. For example, uh, we have a, uh, a 500 books going to Juvenile Hall here uh, locally. Um, that's awesome. That's from a corporate donor. And then uh, my daughter is actually going to go talk at Juvenile Hall and some other um, places around uh, San Diego County and uh, Southern California where, where kids might need some help. So, yeah, we welcome donations. The money goes straight to books to donate to kids. Uh, that are in need, and you know, if, if we can help uh, one more kid uh, tomorrow avoid a lifelong battle with uh, alcohol or, or opiates, then we've done our job. Absolutely. And this book, the book writing, was a family affair. You and Leanna wrote the book together, and then your wife and son did the illustrations. I'm thinking that had to have been immensely healing. And can you talk to our listeners about some of those? amazing and beautiful moments that you had together through this journey. Yeah. And we still continue to have me. You're right. Uh, working with your, uh, your son and daughter and openly discussing your alcoholism and your recovery. Um, it's pretty special. And then, you know, we're sitting on, uh, on uh, NBC on a morning program with the host interviewing my daughter about, uh, her advice for teens, uh, to not drink. Uh, it's, it's it's very touching and special. And, and next week she's speaking to a group of kids at the YMCA whose parents are in prison about uh, what they can do to maybe uh, to avoid a life of addiction and alcoholism. So yeah, it's, a, it's been a very uh, special thing uh, for the family and, and we've seen some other families get involved in it too. And it's a, uh, it's a very good thing. And your daughter is 17 now. So that's really amazing that she's out there speaking to these kind of audiences at her age. Yeah, it is. I, in fact, my publicist asked if I uh, if asked my daughter if she wanted me to go with her to the uh, YMCA event Monday, where she's speaking to adults. And she said, "Nah, Dad, I'm good." So that's as that's a dad, fantastic. It's, it's Plus, with all these uh, appointments, she doesn't have a lot of time for dating. So that's also a benefit. <laughs> right for you as her father, it's like woof, dodging that bullet for a little longer. That's true. So. What do what do you hope that kids and their parents take away from your books? Uh, a couple things. First of all, we want to make it something that families talk about. In my research for the book, I I interviewed and I know uh, tons of uh, uh, alcoholic fanatics, obviously, and many of those had addiction in their families for generations. And the one thing I heard from almost all of them was, "My parents never talked to me about any of this." You know mm. whether. You know, whether mom and dad were addicts, uncle, aunt, uncle Joe died of liver failure. In my family, it's just littered with drug addicts and and alcoholics. And, and my parents are great and educated, and they didn't tell me any of this. Um, so we want it to be a, a topic of discussion. If you're going to talk about the birds and the bees, you better talk about, you know, the opiate epidemic, which kills more people now than car accidents. Mm-hmm. So that's goal one. Make it something families talk about. And then goal two is simply to give kids, you know, four to five uh, tools and uh, pieces of information they understand that can help them uh, that can help them stay away from peer pressure and drugs and alcohol and that they know the danger of, you know, uh, 
taking uh, Oxycontin that they can become addicted in 48 hours. Um, giving them tools and the ammunition to fight off the disease. Yes. Because so once how, it hits, yeah, it's really yeah. hard. Once it you is. have the addiction, it's a lifelong battle, and most people don't are not successful. I'm fortunate enough today, currently, to be an exception to that rule, but the rule generally and the statistics are once people really become addicted to drugs or alcohol, most of them die. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, yes. So education at a young age and support. Kids need our support to come to us when they're struggling with these issues, too, I think. And having open communication about what is going on in school and their peer groups, what is what they're exposed to so that they're not alone making these decisions. Yeah. And if it's not you, which is difficult as a parent, uh, uh, identify Aunt Sally. Identify somebody and tell them when they're 10 or 11 and have that person over, hey, if you ever have peer pressure at school, talk to my best friend, Jackie. She'll be happy to talk to you because kids are, you know, kids are often scared to tell their parents anything. But Aunt Jackie, if you know that you can go to Aunt Jackie when some, uh, when you have a question about a boy or a question about a, you know, peer pressure with drugs or alcohol, set that, set that uh, channel of communication early. Expectation. And openness. Yeah, make make sure they know where to go, and it's not just, uh, you know, uh, some Snapchat with a friend uh, in college for advice. Make, make sure they right. have a responsible adult uh, that they're comfortable talking with and make sure they know that they can tell, talk to them about anything. Yes. So how can listeners reach out to you, to your daughter, Leanna? How can people find you and get your books and learn more? They can just go to potatoallergy.com, just like it sounds. Um, there you can submit questions for us or some other people that we have that help answer. You can uh, view our webcast that we talked about. We're, having a, we're filming an interesting one next week with an addiction researcher. Um, you, can, uh, you can get some free wristbands if, if uh, your kids want them, um, and you can uh, click on the Amazon links uh, to order either of the books. So potatoallergy.com, uh, if you need help, if you know somebody that needs help, feel free to reach out to us. We also have all the normal social media, and you can, uh, you can get the links on our, uh, to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram on our webpage. Awesome. Thank you for being with us for a second time, Mark. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, uh, and, and my best and, to your daughter and your family. And thank you. You too, and thanks for helping us spread the message. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. Have a good day. You too. That concludes my show today with Mark Trider, author of My Dad is an Alcoholic, What About Me? and Alcohol, Drugs, and You. Um, please join me next week for another episode. Happy summer solstice today. And take care. Bye-bye. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir, only on LA Talk Radio.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.